Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Our scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An an enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for gathering the weeds you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. The weirdest parable ever. Let me say, to, to start off with, first of all, Mike, that's a powerful t-shirt. Did you see that Straight Shooters t-shirt? That is so cool. That is great. Uh, let me also say uh, how grateful I am to have somebody like Jason Smith uh, who can jump up here and preach the sermon that he did last week. If you have not yet heard Jason's sermon from last week, do yourself a favor and listen to Jason's sermon from last week, the parable of the sower. It was so good, so good. In a lot of ways... I will be continuing on uh, where he left off. I want to remind us of a couple of things. We are spending an entire year in pursuit of this Jesus character. An entire year. So though I have lectionary texts that are handed to me each and every week, uh, I have options within uh, those lectionary texts, and I have opted to uh, take the gospel passage each week so that we can, in fact, pursue this Jesus that we believe to be the image of the invisible God and all God's people said. In other words, what we believe, what we believe is that Jesus is the most reliable representation of the nature and the character of God and all God's people said. Okay, so far so good. That we, we actually believe what John chapter one says. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and here it comes and the word was God. And by the way, the word there, capital W, does not mean your Bible, it means Jesus, right? It means means Jesus. So in the course of an entire year, as we plow through these gospel texts, here is my hope for my own life of faith, that I would learn more about God by learning more about this Jesus. And in learning more about this Jesus, I would have some idea of what it means to be a Christ follower, a Christian. That I would somehow, by virtue of reading and and plowing through these gospel texts, that I would learn more and more and more about how I'm supposed to spend, you know, my Monday, wherever Monday takes me. 
I hope that for you as well, that as we continue to have discussions, as we are led uh, by the lectionary and by these gospel texts through an entire year's worth of, of passages that either are about Jesus or are said by Jesus, I'm hoping that by the end of this year, and it, it will last all the way until we get into Advent, I'm hoping that somehow in this year, we learn from the best source possible what it would be like to be Christ, because we are the body of Christ. So Jesus is telling us how to be him. Jesus is telling us how to be him. And we are doing it with uh, this, these next several weeks, we're going to stay in this, this particular um, sermon series because we're in the season of Pentecost, and the intention of the season of Pentecost is to teach us how to go about the mission of God. It, it equips us. And so we're in the academy, and it's a super summer around here. If you're visiting, we've got T-shirts. We've got all the stuff that we're doing, and it was kicked off by VBS. that had a superhero theme, and we're trying in one way or another to continue the superhero theme. So you'll not be surprised that today I'm going to talk quite a bit about the Green Lantern Corps. Amen. Now, some of you, especially my friend Chris up there, is a, some of you are Green Lantern, Lantern fans. Do I have any other Green Lantern fans out there? Okay, some of you don't know at all what I'm talking about. Oh, some of you are very shy about, oh, I kind of am, but I don't see the other hand. So. so the Green Lantern Corps is a galaxy-wide police force, right? And they all draw their power from this one central green source of light, I kid you not, right? And with, once they, their rings are fully charged up, Chris, just go ahead and bark out if I miss any of this from up there. Um, it, once their rings are fully charged up, they can do all manner of things, just whatever they can imagine they can kind of do with these rings. But they are called to serve and protect. Sound familiar? Because again, they are a police force. And as police forces tend to do, they are training the people who are not yet fully fledged, and so you might call them deputies. The ones who aren't fully fledged members of the corps just yet are called deputies. If you haven't heard of that person, likely you have heard of this person, okay? <laughs> this, young people, is Barney Fife. Barney Fife was a deputy in the town of Mayberry. And he carried a single bullet in his shirt pocket. But Barney did kind of like his power. <laughs> Barney at times, and sometimes the subject matters of the show went something like this, did Barney enjoy his power a little too much? <laughs> I don't know if you have noticed this, but it seems like sometimes well-intending, let's say it like this, Christians with the best of intentions sometimes ask themselves, does God need me to be a deputy today? Does God need more deputies? Might I be the Barney Five for God today? Might I join the Green Lantern Corps of Deputies meant to serve and protect and defend the very name of God? You know where you can find them. They're on Facebook. <laughs> Those who understand themselves as serving, serving the effort by being deputies, seeking out ugliness, seeking out uh, the counterfeit 
uh, Christians. You can find them on Facebook. Sometimes they have pointed at me. Sometimes they have pointed at you. Most recently, the pointing has had to do with the class that Dr. Wright and I are doing on a Wednesday night. It's called the Diabolical Trinity. Friends, we are not calling the Trinity diabolical. <laughs> the Diabolical Trinity are three other aspects that make the Christian life very hard and at times even painful. But if you're not going to pay attention long enough to read the subtitle of the book, it's not that long, and you're going to come to the wrong conclusions, and you understand yourself as a deputy in God's police force, then maybe you feel like it's your Christian duty to say, hey, them folks, them folks, them folks. Does God need you or me as a deputy? No, God does not need you as a deputy. I don't know what you're planning on Monday, but hopefully I just took some things off your plate and you've got more time to do good things because God does not need you as a deputy. And all God's people said. In fact, today's parable encourages us to take a different posture, not one of a deputy, but the posture of God. And it's a posture of God, it's a posture of Christ, it's a posture that you and I should practice. And here, here's how I would describe that posture. It's the posture of patience and let's see what will happen. Let's see what will happen. Now, listen, you have to have some discretion when knowing when to employ this posture. If there's a fire in the building, none of us are going to sit back and say, ah, 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 let's see what happens. Let's see. Or, or if there's someone lurking about in our hallways that shouldn't be out there in the hallways, we're not going to go, ah, let's, let's just see how much damage a person with a sword can do in, a, uh, in the hallways. No, we'll, we'll take some action there. Here, here's where I'm talking about where deputies are misspent. When, when you suspect someone's going to hell and you feel like you have to go post about it on Facebook, don't. That's what I'm talking about, right? Don't. But who's going to defend God? <laughs> if I don't defend God, if I don't defend the things of God, who's going to? Yeah, not you. Not well. Not well. That's when I hope that we will learn the fine art of let's see what will happen. The godly posture of, hang on, let's see what's going to happen. Now, this is a difficult parable. It, maybe it's a good thing that our crowd's down a little bit today. Maybe, maybe it's okay because this is a difficult parable because this parable is aimed at us, the people of God. This is a, a text and a sermon about us, the people who are known as the evidence of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom now but not yet, folks already in the faith but obviously still in process. It's about us, the folks who on some days have it all together, and sometimes from a place of superiority, we kind of have a tendency to judge those who aren't or who don't have it all together. It's about us, the folks who on other days come to church, but then avoid making eye contact because we know what we're dragging into the sanctuary. It's about us. It's about us. 
So let's jump in. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. Who would do such a thing? Well, the Bible says here, it's the enemy. Later on in the same passage, Jesus is going to say, yeah, it's the devil. Okay, John, we have to talk about this now. So you believe in evil? Yes, I believe in evil. I mean, I don't want there to be any, any question about that. I absolutely believe in evil. Now, I probably don't believe in the cartoon character many of you may be picturing now. But I believe in a systematic resistance to God and the mission of God. I believe in a systematic resistance to, the, to those people of God who would announce and embody the very mission and character and intention of God. Y'all, some people don't want peace. Does everybody know that? Some people don't want peace. Some people don't want people like you to be free from addiction. They're making money on your addiction. They do not wish you to be free from it. Some people will stop at nothing to acquire and amass dollars or bullets or power or trophies. I do believe in a counter-movement. <laughs> and sometimes the counter-movement shows up in buildings with steeples. This is not the only time in Scripture when the counter-movement, or maybe what we could call the counterfeit movement, is mentioned as a threat. But do you really know who is who? Like, can you, without a doubt, without question, can you identify which is the weed and which is the wheat? I mean, where are the deputies when you need them? <laughs> Verse 26, so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, hey, deputies here, master, do you, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? And he answered, an enemy has done this. And the slave said to him, all right, you want us to go do our thing? You want us to go and gather them? John, would you have us believe that here in our pretty church, 4400 Northwest Expressway that the devil has planted some bad seeds among us? I don't have the vaguest idea. Here's what I do believe. I do believe in that evil current that at times runs through so much of our culture. I believe in what Dr. Green used to call the oxygen, the air out there. I do believe that any of us, and perhaps all of us at one point or another, has breathed in just enough of that air that it can make <laughs> A person who might otherwise be wheat, be a little bit wheat, too. I believe in an evil that seeps through the pores of a person, a family, a church. I do believe that the culture can make someone into a bad seed. I do believe that there can be within a single person the potential for wheat and weed, depending on the day, though, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm not, not going to tell you who exactly, but perhaps my sister wears a t-shirt that says, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. 
Am I right? Is that a true story? That's a true story. Yeah. I don't think she's watching. I don't think it'll be fine. And this is not new, St. Augustine. St. Augustine said so many years ago, here was, his, here was his understanding of the church. So in the 300s and 400s, St. Augustine called us <laughs> a corpus permixtum. In other words, a mixed body. <laughs> the church, maybe even our good church, and we have a good church, y'all. Maybe even our church is something of a mixed bag. Maybe we're a church made up of mixed bags which makes us something of a mixed bag. Maybe we are, rather than a museum, just got back from D.C. and saw some museums out there. By the way, Mindy Band says hello, and she misses you desperately. Yeah. We went through several museums. You know what we're not? We're not a museum. We are a hospital for the sick. Maybe we're kind of like Noah's Ark, when you can only stand the stench on the inside because of the storm that's on the outside. <laughs> we, we are a mixed bag, a mixed body. So, John, are you saying that there are bad seeds? Probably. So what do we do with these bad seeds? I, okay. Given all of my, my years of experience here, and given the, all the study that I have done, the degrees on the wall. John, what do we do with the bad seeds? Not a clue. Thought I knew several times throughout my career. I thought I've, I thought I've known what to do. But where I am today, I, I think not only do I not know, maybe it's good that I don't. In fact, what we get from the parable here is some real clarity about what we shouldn't do what you shouldn't do is go looking for that bullet in your shirt pocket, Barney. We are not to put on our deputy's uniform to try to seek out and then root out the bad seeds. Do you want us to go and gather them all up? He says, no. For in gathering the weeds, you might hurt the wheat along with them, and, and honestly, not sure, Deputy Barney, that you can tell the difference. In fact, let's do this. Let's let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then goes on to tell another parable, and you've heard this one, about the mustard seed, that Given time, given time grows. About the parable about the yeast, that given time will work itself through the whole batch of dough. In fact, if you're going to kind of draw a line through these parables, they all would have something to do with the patience of God. Maybe even the slow movement of God. Maybe even the need for the people of God to trust the slow movement of God, trusted enough to finally find the strength, ready for this, the strength to do nothing. There are times when we need to do something. There are times when we need to do something. We had a great discussion in class today, my Sunday school class, 
It's hard to know. It's hard to know when I'm supposed to step up and speak up and, and, and do something or say something, as opposed to now, the parable seems to be telling us there are times when we need to do nothing. Hey, you culture warriors out there who want to wear a Christian garb, it's time for you to start doing nothing. Hey, you, you deputy, Barney, before you hit post on that Facebook post, consider that God might be calling you today to do nothing. Because in doing nothing, what you're actually doing is trusting the character and the nature of God, the vision of God, and the possibility, as Dr. Tashin said earlier this week, maybe God knows something that you don't about growth and development. Y'all, listen to me. Now, we, we have to, and there's something else we talked about today, we, we have to have to immerse ourselves in the habits and the practices whereby acorns become oak trees. We have to immerse ourselves in the, in the rhythms of the Christian life that then develop our capacity to see what we couldn't see otherwise and hear what we couldn't hear otherwise. And hopefully what you're seeing is the movement of God and what you're hearing is the whispering voice of God. We have to do those things. But then, having done those things, we have to recognize that there are moments when the most Christian thing that you and I could ever do is absolutely nothing. Because in doing nothing, we are trusting God with everything. There are moments when, in doing nothing, I'm giving you a chance to write this down. There are moments when, in doing nothing, you are trusting God with everything. What you're doing in those moments of nothingness is trusting that grace will do something even if it's without your noticing it, even if it's without your permission. You get the impression in, in watching this Jesus do what Jesus does. You get the impression that this Jesus believes in the power of grace, but sometimes we get in the way of grace. Christian, have you ever, in your Barney moments, have you ever perhaps gotten in the way of grace? When, if you had just done nothing, maybe grace would have done some work that you were never gonna be able to do otherwise. John, but there are people here, there are people here who don't think like I do. John, there are people here who think wrong things. John, I'll never forget this. All the way back in 2008, this sweet little old woman took me by the arm and she said, Pastor, I have some grave concerns. And I said, oh, Naomi, tell me about these concerns. And she said, I saw a bumper sticker. I saw a bumper sticker in our parking lot at the church. I said, well, what did it say? It said, I voted for Obama. I said, well, what do you think I ought to do about that? You think I ought to tell them that they can't come to church here? And she stared at me and she said, well, that doesn't sound right, does it? said, no, maybe it's a good thing that folks who disagree on things can be together. Maybe what we do when we are together is we just sort of take our time and let God do what God's going to do. She says, oh, I like the sound of that. That woman, the saint, 
By the way, we were able to watch that woman grow in grace, grow and grow and grow in grace until she just couldn't help herself. She had to start responding to that grace with grace. That's what happens. When a person grows in grace, you eventually respond in grace. And one of the things that I get to do next week, me and the other people who are going with us to Africa, one of the things we get to do is we get to go put a commemorative plaque down where Naomi funded a well that is serving in an entire neighborhood, an entire little community there. If not for the work of God in Naomi's life and heart that grew her to a place of grace, if not for that grace that then she responded to with grace, maybe there are some people who wouldn't be around today, but because she responded to grace with grace, the result is life. Y'all, here is a hidden, subversive, powerful part of this parable. You ready? When we give grace a chance and then respond to grace with grace, the result is always life. Think about it. Chew on it. When grace grows us to the point that we finally respond in grace, our responses in grace, every single time result in life. Barney will never see that life happen. Read a, a quote today from a guy named Theodore J. Wardlaw. Theodore J. Wardlaw, and when I show you his picture, he looks just like Theodore J. Wardlaw. From the foundation of the world, the very first moment of creation, it is the kingdom that has been on God's mind, and God is infinitely patient as it grows. It is toward this very God that we are forever moving individually, collectively, and as a cosmos. On such a journey as this, it is not our job to determine who is within and then who is beyond God's attention. It is rather our job to imagine everyone is belonging to this God and therefore with all that we can muster to endeavor to embrace through Jesus Christ our Lord God's holy and purposeful ambiguity. If you were to ask me today, John, what is the greatest gift I can give back to God? I would say give God an opportunity to grow you in grace toward hope and avoid at all costs the kind of certainty that it would allow you to take up arms as Barney Fife. You don't know. Neither do I. Let's stay open with a divine ambiguity that we Christians have learned to call hope. Here, here's another passage that I could have used today from Romans chapter eight. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies, for in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? Here's, here's the line, ready? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. 
hope. There's actually a college. Heard this from Malcolm Gladwell this past week. There's actually a college in uh, Michigan by the name of Hope College. You might be praying for Hope College. You might be praying especially for their fairly newly elected president, this guy, Matt Scoggins. Matt has decided that they're going to change the way that they do... um, that the way that they do the whole buying and selling of higher education. Now, this is a big school, 3,200 students, been around forever. They are known for doing some cutting edge uh, uh, technological sorts of training. They have their own particle accelerator. Like this is, they have all the sports, they have all the teams. Like they are employing tons and tons and tons of people. And starting this next year, they're going to charge the students who are coming into Hope College zero dollars and zero cents. Nothing. The next year, when those kids come in, that incoming freshman class, of, I guess that would be 2024, you know what they're going to charge them? Zero dollars and zero cents. Some of you are going, okay, write down Hope College. I have several children. I'm going to send, can my child transfer to? The next year, 2025. Can you guess what they're going to charge those kids? That's right. He is banking, for lack of a better term, on grace. So how is he going to fund the model? Well, he's saying, here's what he's going to do. He's going to try to build within this culture, build within this culture, this expectation that not only are you going to get a fantastic education, but we're also going to build into you this belief that when you receive grace, you respond to grace with grace. And this crazy person actually believes that it will work. And over a period of time, as you launch these students, well armed with a great education, into these great situations, that they will do well enough to see, wow, Hope College, I love the name, right? Hope College has really done something to put us out there. The least I can do is give back. Now, Here's why I bring it up. I don't know if this financial plan will work, but I am pulling for it, right? It does seem to fit the ethos of the parable, though. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. If we were less Barney, less Green Lantern Corps, and more hopeful, more hopeful, maybe then we could make room for grace, and not just grace around us, but some of us need it within us. And maybe we could be grown toward this grace to the point where we can think of nothing else but to respond to grace with grace. Which I think as you already heard today, when we respond to grace with grace, the result is life and hope and future. 
I don't think you have to look hard to see that Jesus tried to make room for grace. I mean, first thing that comes to mind is the woman caught in the act of adultery. He made some space there for grace, right? Yeah, John, but he also said, go now and leave your life of sin. Yeah, now do you think if the next day she was found out again, do you think Jesus would say, well, I gave you your one chance? Or do you think grace was for Jesus a complete posture? I think grace was for Jesus a complete posture. If you don't believe it, ask Judas. If you don't believe it, ask Simon Peter. Remember, and I'll say this later on in the service, on the night that he was betrayed, remember that? When he took bread, blessed it, and he broke it. He gave it then because Jesus, <laughs> always the graceful posture, he gave a piece of this bread to Judas. Jesus also gave a piece of bread to Simon Peter. And then to the rest of the disciples. And by the way, all of them at one point or another were going to fail. To use our language today, he gave this this bread to people who were themselves, each of them, were some combination of wheat and weed. (laughs) So what was Jesus' posture then, recognizing that there was something broken within each of them? What did Jesus do? He made room for grace and embodied grace. I heard my friend Dr. Reed say in that great gravelly voice down at Fairview Missionary Baptist, I heard him say one one night that we were over there, Dr. Green, he said, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Turns out the ground is level around the table too. The ground is level, meaning If you are all wheat today, welcome to the table. You should write a book. If you find yourself in a place today where you feel like you are much more weed than you are wheat, welcome. You get the same stuff. If you are, I believe the Greek word is chronically normal, and find yourself today to be some combination of wheat and weed, welcome. We're going to make room, grace is going to make room for all of us and each of us today because we believe if we are reminded on a weekly, regular basis that somehow maybe we will be grown to such a place by this grace that we can't help ourselves but to respond in grace. Remember, I want you to eat so much bread that someday you become the bread taken, blessed, broken, and given in grace. Does this make some sense to you? Hopefully this moment will make more sense to you. If you're helping us today, why don't you go ahead and come down and set the table for us. And Heavenly Father, would you please bless these elements And may we understand it as you intend for us to understand this moment. Just chock full of grace. 
May we be perhaps even slightly embarrassed by the amount of grace made available to us now, especially recognizing who we are as we look into the mirror, especially knowing what we know about ourselves. And here you go again, God, just like you did with Judas and with Simon Peter, here you go again offering this bread to us, each of us and all of us, offering this grace to us, God, may we eat and drink deeply of this grace and be grown by it until finally we are responding to grace with grace in the service of life and hope and future. If you were visiting with us today, we're about to take communion by intinction. And here's what that means. In a moment, all of you who are interested if you are willing to do so, all are invited, by the way, none are compelled. So if you're going to respond to that invitation today, what'll happen is you'll stand to your feet, exit your pew to your left, and then come forward, come forward with your hands cupped and approach someone holding a plate of bread. Now as you get closer, that person holding the plate of bread will say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you, and there it is, grace. And will place that piece of bread into your open hands, Please be ready for this grace with open hands. And then take that piece of bread placed into your hands and dip it, just dip it into the cup. Don't go knuckles deep, please. Just, just a little bit of a dip into the cup. And when you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then find a place to pray. And, and here, you got, a, you got a couple of places, a couple of different options here. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing, and somebody will meet you there and anoint you with oil and pray that prayer for healing, be it physical, mental, emotional, familial, relational. We'll pray that prayer with you and for you. If you want to come to one of these one of these benches up front, one of these mourners benches up front, we won't assume a thing other than that you're normal just like the rest of us. But somebody at some point, probably me, will come by and touch you on the back just so that you know that you're not alone. Or you can circle right back around to your seat. God hears those prayers as well. But I would ask that you would pray. And, and maybe if you let me, I want to give you a couple things, maybe two pray. One is, God, relieve me of any responsibility I might feel today to be a deputy. God does not need more Barneys. We need a t-shirt. We need a t-shirt that says God doesn't need more Barneys, okay? <laughs> Here's the second thing you might pray. God, is there grace for me? Is there grace for me? Because I can tell you, God, that I am myself a mixed body. Is there grace for me? I think you'll like how that prayer goes. You may want to make a special trip up here. This is just a bowl of water, but it's meant to help you to remember the moment of your baptism. If you need to be reminded that you're a part of this mission of God, the people of God, then come and just dip your fingers into this water and be reminded of the moment of your baptism when you were included in every way into this movement. You might ask yourself, but do I qualify? Is it okay for me to come? Well, if you know you need grace, that would include me. If you know you need this grace, then you are welcome. 
That's all it takes to qualify you for this body. If you know that you need this grace, then you're welcome at this table, and it will be that way every week. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way, later he would take the cup, hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, and every time you drink of it, including today, remember me. Remember grace. So now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet. All are invited, none are compelled. Stand to your feet, exit your pew to your left, and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish the people of God.